1: Yes. Well, that's what we like to do here on Blog Talk Radio, is uh, try to get the world to be better. And the way that happens is when you and I are better. And we learn to live better, and we learn to think better, and um, we learn to follow Jesus more closely. And uh, tonight is no exception. I'm very excited about our guest tonight because we're going to talk about a lot about the mind, the Christian mind. And you know, God gave us a mind for a reason. And uh, I have to say that um, one of the uh, that's one of the things that was the most important to me in my faith in the early days, when I was at Wheaton College, that was discovering that uh, there were people who followed Jesus, who were deep thinkers and readers. They were in touch with the culture, and they were in touch with history and philosophy, and the thinking of secular minds, just just like Daniel and and his three his three companions, were smarter about the whole culture of Babylon than most of the people there because they studied it and 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 they stimulated their mind and they knew these things because they wanted to talk to these people and they wanted to understand um how their how their god fit into all of this and so here we are you know today celebrating that kind of thinking and I Personally, I don't think we have as near as much of it as we should have, and I think that's probably why our guest has devoted his life to what, what he has devoted it to, and uh, we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes, but I just want to welcome an old friend and um, uh, the president and founder of the C.S. Lewis Foundation, uh, Dr. Stan Matson. Stan, welcome to Block Talk Radio. Well,
0: it's a privilege to be with you, John, and with your uh, listening audience, uh, given the nature of your work. And by the way, I just happened to go on your website and see that uh, one of your endorsements is Noel Paul Stuckey, a great friend of mine, who's uh, <laughs> performed for us and with us. And it's uh, uh, When you're reaching out to guys like Noel and really ministering to him, as he attests to there, I can't tell you how yes. thrilled I am.
1: Yes. That's fantastic. Well, we want you to tell us some, something about the, um, the, the C.S. Lewis Foundation, but I, I want you to tell me how it got started, because I was very excited just to refresh myself and read a little bit of the, of the history online. And, um, you know, I was very excited to see that Harry Blaymeyer's and his book, um, The Christian Mind, was instrumental in getting a lot of these wheels moving because I must say he's uh, that book is one of my top five as far as inspiring me as a young Christian. So tell us how well, that all fit together and where where did this passion begin?
0: Well, it's interesting you mentioned Blamires on the Christian Mind because that was the Holy Spirit slap in my face. Actually, I mean that that <laughs> book just absolutely grabbed me by the throat and was a shocker. I, my uh, my field of study is that of American intellectual history, and I spent uh, my Ph.D. Uh, from both University of Wisconsin Masters and University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, uh, and with a real sense of calling to become a professor at a secular university and be a source of encouragement and outreach within the war zone, very much. And... Uh, mm-hmm. When I finished up, I got an offer from Purdue to be professor of American intellectual history and director of its pre-seminary program, if you can believe it, back in those days. And I got an offer mm-hmm. from Gordon College, and I definitely did not want to go to a Christian college because they already had it. They knew it. And mm-hmm. uh, But as I prayed between the two, <laughs> the Lord <laughs> really signaled to me I was not to go to Purdue, and I was to go to Gordon and it was a, one of the toughest things in my life. that I picked up the phone and called Purdue and said, I'm sorry, but I have to, I'm to. i declining your very generous <laughs> offer. And it was more generous. Mm. But in obedience, went to <laughs> Gordon. And Derek Gordon, it was there on the second year that the chairman of the poli-sci department, good friend Bill, came up to me and said, you know, here's a book that I think you might find interesting, written by a student of Lewis's. Open that book, and, I, and again, American Intellectual Historian, Studying the thinkers in America, 18th, 19th century, uh, just Jonathan Edwards and up. And uh, first page, there is no longer a Christian mind.
1: Hmm. What? Yes.
0: There's Christian (laughs) ethics, Christian worship, there's Christian missions, there's Christian music, there's everything. But there is no longer, where adults meet within the academy, where grown ups talk about important issues. Christians are just not there and we are not using our language and and as an American historian attending the national conventions that was so obviously clear I mean we we do have a wonderful group called Fides et Historia which are Christian historians and we meet for breakfast on a time of prayer and hearing a paper uh, in a room somewhere catered uh, during the conference but down, usually down to the lower level. And then we get in an elevator and come back up on the main floor, and in those days it was neo-Marxists and the radical feminists, and now the LGBTQ, and, I mean, they're everywhere. I mean, they're, they were, the neo-Marxists are now all gone, no longer fashionable, and feminists have won their case, so they're not particularly evident, except they're in everything. But the LGBTQ, I mean, their tables are everywhere. They command the largest halls. And I go to those sessions. You know, these are nice people. They don't have horns in their head. They just have mm-hmm. <laughs> their convictions and their passions. And, and where are the Christians speaking out of their convictions and passions? Well, we're afraid. We're afraid that if we did, you know, we got back to campus, it could be really tough in terms of promotions, in terms of hires, uh, just all the usual challenges. And uh, that was the moment, really, where I really went on retreat and sought the Lord and brought a group of uh, scho- Christian scholars from all over New England together on a retreat uh, down in Connecticut and had them all read Plymire's. There is no longer a Christian mind. Do you agree? And we all agreed unanimously. So what are we going to do with mm-hmm. this? And, and who do we have as a role model? we got thinking Francis Schaeffer. Uh, yes, but very, very reformed, so it doesn't cross the bridge for Catholics or other Protestants and And uh, Mm -hmm. there's no question in all of our minds that C.S. Lewis was the only, only, only person we knew, read, were aware of that had any, both, academic credibility, I mean, highly regarded academically, forget Mm -hmm. the Christian in that sense, but also as a Christian, had the courage to stand up and pay dearly for it at Oxford, passed over three times for promotion to a full professorship. His entire 24 years there, he spent as a tutor, not as a professor. It wasn't until Ah. Cambridge, uh, much later in um, 84, extended an offer to him to come to Cambridge as a full professor uh, that Oxford snapped back and said, No, 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 don't leave now, no, no, we want you to stay. We want you to stay. And then he said, No, I don't (laughs) want you to stay over me. No, I'll go to Cambridge, and I'm so honored by what they said. And so he maintained his residence at the Kilns in Oxford, went to Cambridge, and now recently, as you know, installed in Poet's Corner for his incredible contribution intellectually, artistically, and his imaginative literature. Mm -hmm. So now he's very much in fashion, but when he was out there speaking on BBC radio during World War II in those addresses that he Mm would come and give, and Tolkien warned him, if you go on the air and identify with Christianity, you're finished academically. And Lewis said... I can't deal with that. I I have to be, I have to do, I've been invited to do it. I'm going. And sure enough, Mm. he was on the air regularly, whereas his colleagues at Oxford, nobody heard of him. (laughs) So he paid the price, (laughs) but finally praised the Lord. We are so much the better for it. Yeah.
1: Wow. Wow. And
0: so, you mentioned Blair Myers. That was a book that rang my bell. and will ring the bell of your listeners. If they haven't read it, go get it.
1: Oh, yeah. And it, it's still just as it's just as uh uh current now, don't you think, Stan?
0: It, what's a curse?
1: Yeah, the book. The book is just as current today.
0: I and mean, we can oh, read it, it is. right now. It Oh more current, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And you can go on
1: Amazon dot yeah. com
0: right now, put your order in there, and it will be in your mailbox before the week is out. How about that?
1: There you go. There you go. <laughs> and uh <laughs> so I hope I uh, that that was one of my goals as a matter of fact, Stan, is to get some of our people to do that very thing. So thank you. You're <laughs> and, welcome. Uh, you're welcome. Then, you're welcome. <laughs> tell us a little bit more then about um, how C.S. Lewis Foundation came to be and, um, and, and maybe some of the things that, that uh, are your strengths, what you're, what you're doing now.
0: Well, how it came to be, and again, here's a tribute to the importance of reading books. But it was Gordon MacDonald's book, Ordering Your Private World. Uh, The first chapter was, Are You Driven or Are You Called? And at that time, I was just just been promoted to director of development at the University of Redlands. And I love the University of Redlands. It had an important ministry in my life, 3,000 miles away Mm -hmm. through its program. Be still and know that I am God. That, That choral piece just. So nourished me through some really tough times, but in any event, uh, mm. I read that p- chapter, and and we then discussed it in our little Cornelia group, which included um, Nate Sain's daughter Kathy Drown uh, and Ross Drown, who were here at MAF. Our offices are now here at the old MAF headquarters in Redlands. Don't know if you knew that. We're up at the airport now, mm. but. Um, mm. We read that, and we, we went around to each other and asked each other, there were eight of us, are you driven or are you called? And when they got to me, and I shared the calling that that group of scholars in Connecticut, we all agreed that we'd be praying for a real outreach to the secular university world and uh, perhaps even to the founding of a college uh, that was inspired by C.S. Lewis's vision. And they said, why don't you go to mm-hmm. retreat, on a silent retreat somewhere, and just... Look to the Lord I did and uh, went out to Valermo, which is a Catholic Benedictine retreat center uh, close by and it was a wonderful three days of just in silence and prayer and came back and thought that I was to decline my promotion at the <laughs> and step out and uh, my the Lord has so blessed and so spoken through these years it's just been quite amazing and um, the, if you would ask me then if I had any idea that we'd be doing what uh, uh, what uh, we're doing now uh, I would have had no idea that we would actually come to a place that we would own C.S. Lewis's home in Oxford. Are you kidding me? So <laughs> we're in our strategic plan or in our vision screen. And the things that have happened since that have just been remarkable. So um, I would say that to uh, speak to your question, kind of what we're doing now, basically there are five component parts. I mean, the vision is to really restore a vital Christian presence throughout the world of higher education, the arts, and the culture at large. And by the way, that includes the churches, because the churches are so Mm -hmm. third-world, missions-oriented, that, in fact, their biggest mission, which is their own home country, they're just basically abandoned. In terms of, now, we do evangelistic efforts, and we love InterVarsity and Campus Crusade and Navigators, and the list goes on. But in terms of recognizing that within our universities, where students are being trained, our future lawyers, our future teachers, our future judges, our future media people, that in the actual environments where ideas are being discussed, Informed, we have no strategy. No, without naming Mm -hmm. names, I'll give an example. I was invited to uh, come up and do a weekend at uh, at Berkeley, University of Washington, and Mm -hmm. the host church, uh, wonderful church. uh, I asked if, in fact, they might have an event where they invited all their faculty from their church. Us to meet together before the, the faculty forum, which is another one of our ministries, reaching out to faculty began. And so they said, We don't really have a list of our university faculty here. And I said, uh, And then happily, my host, a uh, professor of medical uh, of medicine, her husband was a retired senior officer with uh, uh, a pharmaceutical company, and he said, Look, I've got time. So he took the University Faculty Handbook and the Church's Membership Handbook, and they discovered that they had 125 University of Washington faculty who were members of that church. Wow. And they had never, ever, ever brought them together to pray for them before the academic year began. And I said to them, you know, back in New England, the Catholic bishops pray over the fishing fleets before they head out to the Grand Banks. You guys have
1: 125
0: mm-hmm. faculty here, and you're not laying hands on them and sending them forth with blessing and encouragement and with a counselor to work with them through the years, but their environment is tough. And they mm-hmm. acknowledge that, and they launch the program thereafter. But thats it's really directed to churches, too. So when we do our mm-hmm. conference, uh, we do uh, – I mentioned five things that we do. We do – regional conferences and events, whether in San Diego or Houston or Nashville or uh, Atlanta or uh, Seattle or whatever, uh, we always definitely reach out to both churches and to faculty and as well as students of bringing them together to embrace the mission of the importance of the life of the mind and our calling as Christians to speak into Mm -hmm. that environment Lovingly, not arrogantly, not as though we've got all the answers and everybody else is an idiot, because they think, to the contrary, that they've got all the answers and we're idiots.
1: <laughs> 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 the fact is both
0: are stereotypes, and we need to really get to know them. And one of the things that really changes things is when you get to know people. And by the way, let mm, me yeah. you, uh, encourage people there are out there to read. I just discovered a book entitled Surprised by Oxford, written by Caroline Baker. Now, you may have already read it, but uh, it was, I was, uh, came recommended to me, and I ordered it right away and devoured it. But it's a play on Lewis's spiritual testimony and autobiography, Surprised by Joy, as you know. In her case, mm-hmm. she goes to Oxford as an atheist, passionate. That's how uh, C.S. Lewis came to Oxford. And then he ran into J.R. Tolkien, a very devout Catholic Christian, and then he ran into another very thinking Christian, and another one, and another one, and he was shocked. And it's so amazing that in the case of Carolyn Baker's book, Surprised by Oxford, she knows there is a passionate atheist, assuming all Christians are idiots. And by the grace of God, she runs into one after another thinking, listening, caring, creative Christian, and she begins to suspect that, gee, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And she discovers (laughs) that some of the most arrogant, pompous uh, individuals that she encounters at Oxford are these atheists who are just writing off these Christians as idiots, but she knows them. And she knows they're not idiots. And she says, something's wrong here. Mm. These guys, I know them. They've now become best friends, and they're not idiots. And so I think the whole uh, uh, outreach which is is uh, expressed through relationships not just writing arguments, not just having debates. I hate When I go to colleges and universities and there's a debate on evolution, it draws a huge crowd, and it's like watching a boxing match. you got people rooting mm-hmm. for this side, of the fight and when they leave, no one has changed their perspective. They're only all the more entrenched in the fact that those other idiots are just ridiculous. and We are right. <laughs> and you have polarization all over the place, and I think the more we shift off that particular topic, not because we're afraid of it, but because it's usually the occasion for a boxing match, and open up constructive, whether it's a play, whether it's a concert performer we bring on campus, whether it's a dialogue Mm -hmm. where we on a a Muslim, a Christian, and an atheist, and have some good moderator moderate the discussion for understanding and whatever. Well, our conferences and events are like that, and I would say As an encouragement, by the way, I was invited to come to the University of North Carolina uh, by a a group of Episcopalians who, one of whom had come to Oxford, which is our triennial summer institutes at Oxford and Cambridge, and he had come. Uh, He had registered for one week. He came up to me on the Thursday of the first week, and he said, excuse me, Dr. Matson." I I registered for only one week. I kind of suspected this was kind of a fundamentalist thing. Well, the fundamentalists are here, but so is everybody else, and we're talking to each other for the first time in my life. Can I register (laughs) and stay for the second week? I said, sure enough. Now, he was from Chapel Hill. When he got back home, he shared it with his Episcopal uh, weekly prayer breakfast, and they said, let's bring Stan out here. My professor was one of the uh, members of the group. And they brought me out there, and as a result of that, I mean, tremendous series of lectures and so forth. But one of them was I was invited to come back for the annual Humanities Alumni Retreat. It was a weekend retreat with alumni. And when I was introduced in that first time, they said it was the third largest attendance in their 17-year history. Hmm. They then, for some, well, it was because Lewis had nothing to do with me, but they invited me to come back two years later. And when they introduced me, they said, this is the second largest attendance in our 19-year history. <laughs> and I said from the left excuse me, but who was number one? And he said, well, it was the Secretary of State on the occasion of the collapse of the Berlin Wall. <laughs> uh, uh, and then this fellow, older fellow sitting on the first row right in front of the lecture leans forward and says to me, I'm an atheist, but I love C.S. Lewis. And I thought, praise God. <laughs> God, praise God. I mean, yeah. Lewis' yeah. way of speaking, of coming alongside folks, and just sharing the gospel in ways that people can hear it. Uh, he, they they mm-hmm. know he's not just talking down to them, but like a buddy walking along the road. He's a fellow pilgrim. And uh, so our five things are: we do our summer conferences, our, our regional conferences, and events, San Diego, Houston, all over. And then we also do a triennial conference at Oxford and Cambridge every three years, which is incredible. We do two lectures every morning. Uh, we, do, we have a choir that's audition from all over America with a performance of the City of Oxford uh, Orchestra. We do even song at The Cathedral, a uh, full choral concert at St. John's in Cambridge. We close out, if you can believe this, at King's College, Cambridge exciting story there. I called the chaplain there about maybe eight years ago, and um, more than that, but probably 15 years ago. And I asked and and inquired if it might be possible for us to have our closing service at King's College Chapel, which is where the great Christmas Lessons and Carols thing is broadcast all over the world. It's one of the great... He then responded uh, and said to me, John, uh, You do realize, of course, this is the most treasured piece of real estate in Cambridge. And I thought, we're done. We're toast. This is forget it. But clarify this for me. Are you saying that you'd be coming here to worship? I said, oh, yes, definitely. Well, not one in 100 of our fellows here would be remotely interested in worshiping here. Were you to come, you'd be honoring us, not we you. By all means, do come. Can you imagine <laughs> that? Wow. Hallelujah. But we are yeah. there now. We have the finest venues. When we first went to Oxford in 1988, this is before Lewis became too popular, and the films didn't come out. In 88, we could hardly get in the door. That here was fine, a conference, great, wonderful. C.S. Lewis, no, I don't think so. Only the women's college, St. Hilda's, took us in. Not his own college, modern college, no way. He was just persona mm. non grata. But in the last thirty years, things have so changed that we praise God for that. Doors have opened all over the place. That's so, great. Uh, study Center Films, which has scholars and residents year-round. During the summer, we have summer seminars, like with Earl Palmer, just concluded. A week here, week here, great. people can come to that. Uh, we have tours there with people coming from all over the world, two thousand a year
1: on average. And then our summer. summer so uh, excuse me. Yeah, Stan, I have to interrupt you here. Are you telling me that you can go and um, stay in C.S. Lewis's house and study?
0: Not only, is me, that me, but you
1: can,
0: Not only me, but you can too, John, and anybody else out there listening. Wow. Just go on our wow. website and just uh, apply, or if they want to uh, go for a tour, bring some grandchildren to visit Lewis's home. No, it's mm-hmm. quite special. So, yes, the answer is yes, John. Praise the Lord. Oh, that's great. We had over 200. Um, when we when that was when we acquired that back in 88, 86. We had over mm-hmm. 200 volunteers come over from the states to restore that home to exactly the way it looked when Lewis was living there, which meant rebuilding chimneys, yeah. rebuilding fireplaces, and you no, know, it's a lovely place. It's exactly the way it was when he lived in the house. Y'all come.
1: Hmm. Oh, that sounds great. Where? Well, uh, what's the? Where do we find out about all this? Uh what's your what's the website? The
0: website is org. and uh
1: by the way for your locals we
0: for your locals I we will be speaking on Lewis out at the uh, uh the uh, Dean Museum out there in Kalamazoo on October ah. uh, 1st I'll be speaking on CS Lewis and then we have another colleague speaking on the Great Divorce uh, later in the month
1: Great, great. Um, You know, Stan, I know you've, for a long time, maybe even from the beginning, you've had a dream of a C.S. Lewis uh, Institute, which would exist as a place of higher education right next to a secular university and actually part of that university, have you gotten any closer to, to that happening, and do you think it's possible?
0: Well, it's possible, but it has been quite an
1: incredible ride, as many
0: of your listeners might know. Uh, we were looking, we studied campuses all over America, I mean 135 then down to 35, then to 21, and then 10, and then 24, which are Claremont, Princeton, Duke, UNC, and the five colleges up in the Amherst area. And then, out of nowhere, there popped this uh, uh, initiative to come to Northfield uh, on the former campus of Northfield-Mount Herman, which is the Moody campus on the east side of the river, the women's campus. Absolutely stunningly gorgeous. Uh, we went out, and we looked at it, and the Christian faculty in the five colleges already had a dinner for us and asked, you know, we've been up there doing prayer walks. We think it would be wonderful for you. What do you think? And my sense was it's 45 minutes north of Amherst. That's not what we had in mind. We want to be in the war zone next door. And the Oxford colleges mm-hmm. are they're all next door to each other. So you're bumping into each other in pubs and, you know, playing tennis right. or whatever. This is 45 minutes. It's going to be another Christian retreat center, and it's the last thing in the world. I wanted so, uh I said I think if, this could be Turkish Delight. And uh, <laughs> But I said, hey, let's go back and pray again one more night. I want to go back one more night with you. And we went back. I wrestled with the Lord from 4 o'clock on till breakfast time. And I finally said, Lord, if you want us to go to the middle of a desert, we will run there. But we need to know it's you leading the way. If you want us to go to Northfield, then I'm going to throw out a fleece. Lord, may it be given to us. And if it's given to us, I, I'm going to have to. But I don't understand this because this is an economic downturn. This is 2009, right after the crash, and uh, this is 45 minutes of the north, and we are just a little startup. That's 30 buildings, 574 square so We're going to do a launch there. We were looking for just a, you know, 50 acres of land to do one building. So this was way out of our comfort zone. And I said to the Lord, "Are you insane?" I really said it out loud to Him. But you are not. <laughs> I can be insane, so have your way, we will follow you. And then we took off on this incredible roller coaster ride when Hobby Lobby heard about us, they acquired the campus for us to give it to us, we just needed to have to raise the, the working capital. And it was like overnight we had to launch a, a uh, $72 million capital campaign for nothing, out of nowhere, $15 million within the first three years, and the company we hired, uh, they sold themselves to another company within a week of when we signed the contract and just produced nothing. So it was really very, very sad. And But the campus still sits there quietly. We still pray over it. Lord, it's yours, and uh, we're waiting for your leave. Uh-huh. So we in the meantime, acquired Green Pastures, which is the home of D.L. Moody's daughter, right on the corner, right on Main Street, which is the home we wanted for our admissions building. But North Vermont would not sell it to us because it was our alumni building. And so we, um, when it came up for sale time, just went up uh, several years ago, we said, let's, let's be bold and trust the Lord and put in our oar. So we put in our oar, and mm. we're now restoring that to be a Christian study center, C.S. Lewis study center, but all the while waiting and peering it on the corner, to see what God's going to do on the college. But it could end up in Claremont. It could end up in... In uh, Carolina we, we don't know yet we're, But we're praying In the meantime we're, we're certainly Very serious about it But we need to find no, Major To lead the way mm-hmm. Tremendous demand well, we, um, Within a week We had applications Of 300 faculty From all over the country Interested in teaching wow. there, And many, many students We'll pray We'll cover your prayers
1: We will We will um, at, Our time's almost up here Um how how would you encourage our listeners to sharpen their minds as as Christians?
0: Well, I think it's to take seriously the admonition that we, in fact, dedicate our hearts and minds to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and that we recognize that as terrifying as that may seem in the realm of the of mind, that whether it's a calling that we have, or there are others who we believe God has called to speak into that area. That they certainly pray. This battle that's going on now—I I, just—I rejo- almost leaped off a table when I heard today that the senator in California withdrew the the, um, the uh, action uh, that would have uh, defunded all Christian institutions of the state of California if they did not you oh. mm-hmm. in their faculties. Praise the Lord for that. Yeah. But it's a spiritual battle the fight with the instruments of prayer. But also read and that's a good place to begin Harry Blumara's work and also C. S. Lewis's Mere Christianity can't beat it. And then we welcome mm-hmm. you to the Jones or to any of our conferences or to Dean Museum on October first. We'll be dealing with C. S. Lewis the Bonnie Fighter. That'll be we will be speaking. Cover your prayer. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. Fantastic. Well, our uh, uh, time went way, way too fast. But um, I, I hope you've, been, I know you've inspired me to get back into uh, my thinking. And uh, you know, I, there really aren't, when you think about it, Stan. There aren't that many institutions and organizations that that are dedicated to the kind of thing that you are dedicated to so um you know, I can count them on one hand, the ones I know of uh, so we uh we appreciate you, we'll pray for you and um uh I uh, hoping that we ourselves will become uh inspired to to be uh, approved under god people Amen. know and under understand our culture, we know our word, but we we know. We know the world. We know our culture. We know what's going on around us. So, bless you, John. Uh, we ministry. Thank you. Thank you so much for being available for this. And uh, um, I, I I pray okay. God's blessing on you. Yeah, my great privilege, John. The we'll Lord be with you all. Okay. Okay, Sam. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, I want to read uh, as we're going out here, of um, the vision of uh, C.S. Lewis uh, Foundation. Our goal has been singular: to encourage clergy, stu- 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 lay persons, and seekers to actively, openly, and creatively integrate the life of the mind the life of the imagination and the life of the spirit in order to live a fully developed and mature life in Christ. Amen. I think that's something we can, we can all adopt um, as, as a goal for us. And uh, so I want to thank you for joining us on uh, Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, uh, Stan Matson. And uh, God bless you all as you uh, continue into your week. God bless you. Hello.